Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Sonny Promolo, filling in for Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, the Winnipeg Foundation recently announced their reconciliation grant recipients at an event at Thunderbird House. And to learn more about these reconciliation projects, we'll be featuring one of the grant recipients each week. For our first project that we're going to take a look at, we'll speak with Shannon Terracrici, coordinator for the Butterfly Club at Ganikanichik, about their project. Then we'll speak with Jeff Riphat, Spark Program Manager with the Canadian Community Economic Development Network, to learn more about Spark and how it builds connections between organizations and volunteers for projects requiring professional skills. We'll also speak with Frank Ulrich, Executive Director of Union Gospel Mission, to find out more about how the organization is helping Manitobans who are struggling with poverty and addictions. And finally, we'll also speak with Rob Tetro, founder of Le Classique, a three-on-three ball hockey tournament in support of Congenital CMV, happening this weekend. Find out how you can catch the action. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today and I'm joined by Sonny Primolo. Sonny, how are you doing today? I am doing great, cold, but great. Yeah, so Nolan unfortunately has a cold, so he's uh, he's away this week. Get well soon, Nolan. Hope you feel a little better. And uh, But we do have a really fantastic lineup of, of stories to bring you today. Absolutely. Some great, great things happening. Uh, We're actually going to feature some of the reconciliation uh, grantees from the Winnipeg Foundation. Yep. Um, We're also going to be chatting with, uh, we're going to learn more about Spark, which is uh, kind of tied to, uh, we featured Volunteer Manitoba last week. And Spark does something very similar, but, but more for people with professional skills working on specific projects for organizations. So we'll learn a lot more about that. We've also got uh, Union Gospel Mission. We'll learn about the services that they provide. And uh, Sunny, you chatted with uh, Rob Tetro of Le Classique. Yeah, it, it's going to be a great event happening this weekend, a 3 and 3 ball hockey tournament at Whittier Park. Uh, and yeah, there's going to be a social, lots of fun things for the family. So yeah, absolutely. Definitely catch that. Yeah, so it should be a really good show. We're happy you could join us. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll get things started. But before we do, we've got to start things off with a song. And, uh, you know, we had a really, really cold uh, cold snap there last week, and it's it's warmed up a little bit. And even though it's, uh, it's not quite uh, summer, well... Considering how much it warmed up, it almost feels like spring in comparison to what it was. So here uh, we're going to start with Paul Weston and his orchestra with and Margaret Whiting with It Might As Well Be Spring right here on River City 360. I'm as restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I had spring fever But I know it isn't spring I'm starry-eyed and vaguely discontented Like a nightingale without a song to sing 
I'm here with Shannon Terracrici. Yes, I'm with the Butterfly Club at Ganiganichik. Can you tell us a little bit about your project? Sure. So when we applied for the reconciliation grant a couple months ago, um, we were really thinking about our youth. So the Butterfly Club, it works with girls and two-spirit Indigenous youth uh, from 9 to 13, so very middle middle years kind of age, going through a lot of self-discovery um, and kind of discovering the world around them. Uh, our main focus is on their leadership. So we really wanted to offer them an opportunity to be leaders and know that they are leaders. As well, at the same time, we have reconciliation happening, this big, sometimes scary word, what is reconciliation? But really, it's repairing our relationships. It's making all of us come together in a good way and that's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take everyone coming together but I think it can start with their youth. So the whole idea behind our projects are a year-long project where we'll begin with discovering what is reconciliation, bringing in guests, maybe doing some outings, um, having discussion around what is reconciliation to the youth. Then the youth are going to be able to take over they're going to decide, okay, how should reconciliation look in Winnipeg? How should reconciliation look for us as Indigenous girls and two-spirit youth? Myself and the other staff will be there to support with making connections with other schools or filmmakers or art galleries, and then the youth can kind of take it whatever direction they want. Um, so 
that's essentially what the projects are going to be right now. Very vague because I want to leave it for the youth. And I'm really, really excited to see what they're going to come up with. Has there been any pivoting or any changes that you've gone through just to this point? Well, I think when many of us come into these roles as coordinators or or facilitators of programs, we take it on ourselves to be the leader who's planning things for the youth. But that's not how our Indigenous relatives would have taught our youth. And as we kind of know, that doesn't work for most of our youth or if it does work they need more ways to explore how they can be their own leaders and how they should be contributing our youth have so much knowledge they already have so many leadership skills so all we're doing is helping them um, practice and helping them realize so we shifted more from being the leaders ourselves planning everything ourselves to really opening it up for the youth to be leaders for them to realize that they do have these skills and they they are the ones that are going to be doing these projects yeah Why did you guys feel that this was important to start? Well, first of all, um, it's very much a cliche, but the youth are our future. Another cliche that we hear is the youth are our future leaders. They are already our leaders. They truly are. Um, We've been kind of doing mini projects already in our program to um, kind of, I guess, be a trial run of our future. And the youth have exceeded all expectations. Um, They already knew that leaders aren't just being the boss at the front talking. They they knew that leaders um, are there for the community. They care about the land. Um, they help others. So the youth having so much knowledge and them truly being our future, I think it's important we start there. And we start with teaching them about reconciliation, but letting them draw their own conclusions and having those discussions and then them moving forward to reconcile our communities. Mm -hmm. So how important do you think it is for the community to lead uh, when considering like you know the TRC's call to actions? How important is it that the community is starting that lead? Oh my goodness it's so important that the community is really the the kind of forefront and the leaders for reconciliation because we're the people who have to live it. Um, we're the people walking by each other every day and we're the, I, I guess, truly the people who, who need to reconcile. Um, it, it's important that our nations reconcile, but if there's people who aren't willing to move forward in this journey, then it's going to be tough, right? So as much of us as possible need to come together, all nations, all people, and really move forward. Um, it, takes, it takes all of us. What do you feel will be the lasting impacts of this program and what are some of the goals that you set and what, how would you measure that success? So the goals are definitely going to be the relationships formed and that's really hard to measure but I see it every day when I see our youth working together and helping each other out and I know that it's not just Indigenous youth that are leaders. So whether they're going to be doing workshops with a middle school group that's primarily um, settler population, whether they're working with a newcomer group at a community centre, whether they're going out to the mall and putting on a little drum performance, I hope there will be lasting bonds and changing some of those um, stereotypes that people might have about our youth and our people. How does it feel to be in, I guess, a circle of different organizations, like dozens of organizations, all trying to support, you know, reconciliation. What does that mean to you? Being in a circle is 
ceremony and it always leaves a very powerful impact on me and it's so beautiful to see it's not just indigenous people being in this circle um, lots of other organizations whether they be settler or newcomer or what have you um, arts to sports to schools they're all coming together and they know that they have to work on reconciliation too our indigenous communities have been trying to reconcile our relationships since first uh, contact and it's about time that others step up and I'm really excited to see that. What does the support from the foundation mean to you? Oh my goodness. So first of all they're allowing us to keep our doors open for the Butterfly Club for our youth. Um, I've seen so much growth in our youth and you know many of them are those very average youth that are going through the, the boy or the girl troubles, bullying, that kind of thing. But of course, when we're talking about our communities, there are intergenerational traumas. There's many things that we need to support in addition, uh, not even to mention our, our two-spirit youth who have their own kind of um, complexities surrounding them, right? So we just so much appreciate the Winnipeg Foundation's um, support for us because it's going to allow us to show these youth what true leaders they are and give them hope and give them inspiration and that's the goal of our program. So, Is there anything that you would like to add about your program and how can people also get a hold of you and learn more? Um, Gani Ganichik has a website um, so they can go to ganiganichik.ca I'll spell that out K-A-N-I-K-A-N-I-C-H-I-H-K.ca There's links to all our programs so it's not just a butterfly club we have programs to help with um, education and uh, pre-employment we have programs to help with the families of missing and murdered indigenous women we have elder support services we have strengthening families programming Um, and then of course there's a butterfly club so um, that's for two-spirit and indigenous girls 9 to 13 Um, anyone who's interested can find our applications online we're also right at 455 McDermott and everyone is welcome to visit us we have applications we have more information we're just a lovely place to hang out Thanks, Sonny. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we'll be featuring one of the Reconciliation Grant recipients each week here on River City 360, so be sure to stay tuned as we learn about each of the projects in the weeks ahead. Up next, we'll learn about Spark and how it's building connections between organizations and volunteers and how it makes those connections work. I'll be speaking with Jeff Rippat, the Spark Program Manager with the Canadian Community Economic Development Network, or SEDNET, to find out more. But before we get to that, here is Duke Ellington and his orchestra with Crosstown, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Jeff Ripat. He is the Spark Program Manager with the Canadian CED Network, or SEDNET, here in Winnipeg. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Robert. Spark is an organization that matches people who want to volunteer, who have some skills and expertise, and matches them with community organizations. Tell us a little bit more about that and what the overall goal of Spark is. Yeah, so we're a a service of the Canadian CED, or Community Economic Development Network, and we work, uh, the Spark portion of uh, that is just here in Winnipeg. Um, And we're really about strengthening the capacity of local organizations who are working on poverty-related issues and social justice issues. So we're a way to bridge the needs of the organizations in terms of when they need specific expertise and they don't know where to find it, can't necessarily afford it, and maybe aren't even quite sure exactly what it is they need, and match them with people in the city who are professional people who have uh, skills that are required and are wanting to contribute them, but don't necessarily have a connection to uh, the organizations or even an organization at the right time when they need that skill. So we're kind of the bridge between the two. So in a sense, it's kind of like Spark facilitates volunteer opportunities that are a little more specialized. Often when you see a call for volunteers, it can be pretty general, and a lot of people have transferable skills that might fit some of those roles. But I'm getting the sense that this is a lot more about a specific need that an organization has, and that might require a more specific skill set that someone might already have from their professional career. Yeah, exactly. And it's generally, it's pretty difficult for professional people who want to contribute their skill in their volunteer time. You know, it's it's easy or easier to find kind of generic volunteer opportunities to be able to work at a special event or staff a table or even come into an organization, you know, as a board member or something like that. But if you want to apply your specific technical skills in a kind of targeted way for high impact matches with an organization that really needs your help, that's the difficult part is kind of the timing and the skill fit and knowing who, who out there really is ready to, to engage uh, with your offer of your services. So walk me through what are some of the kinds of projects or skills that a community organization might need that Spark would help facilitate? So it's really uh, fairly broad. It depends where the organization is at in terms of their development even. So we sometimes talk about Organizations, even at the part where they're forming and coming together, uh, they have different needs than they do further on down the line. So, for example, they may need help with uh, program planning or board governance uh, questions or uh, some advice around how to uh, incorporate as an organization and formalize uh, perhaps some fundraising uh, expertise versus later on uh, as they, you know, if they've been around for a while, they may have more complex needs around uh, around marketing, communications, or database development, or uh, legal expertise needed, or it really, uh, it's a wide gamut, I guess, of skills that organizations need, but they're kind of, it really depends on where they're at. Our services really roll out or are initiated by the organizations coming to us saying, we've got this particular challenge, can you help us with it? Rather than us meeting volunteers and then trying to place them, if that makes sense, we're kind of really led by the needs of uh, Winnipeg's nonprofits who are doing the work on poverty issues and, and social justice. And what would you say are some of the most common needs? And have, have you seen a shift in what those needs have been over time? 
Yeah, I think it's always shifting. When I started with Spark nine years ago, we were seeing a lot of requests for strategic planning help. And uh, then we started seeing a lot more related to uh, things like communications and uh, with the adoption and use of uh, Facebook and other social media platforms, we started seeing a lot more requests for help related to that. And now, strangely enough, strategic planning seems to be coming back again. It's kind of come full circle. And along the way, we've had times where we're looking for a lot of organizations wanting to be matched with interior design expertise or human resources help. It kind of just seems to go in in waves and we can't, we're trying to figure out uh, what the patterns are, but it's kind of hard to predict. Never really know who's going to come to us with what request, but it's always interesting. And so take us through the process of how Spark helps facilitate a match between a community organization and a volunteer. You alluded to the, the beginning where it's typically the community organization that would come to you with a specific request. What happens from there and how do you facilitate that match with a volunteer? So we often really want to do a a thorough assessment with the organization about what they're asking for to help us to be able to make the best match possible. So we go out uh, in pairs, there's three of us on the Spark team, and we meet with organizations usually in their space and talk to them about, you know, really drill down on what the challenge is, kind of what they've tried before to get around it. Once that assessment meeting is over, then we go back to our database or think about who we've met in the past who may be able to take on the challenge and kind of make a bit of a short list and approach those people one by one saying, you know, this is, here's the opportunity, here's the organization. Uh, If you want to find out more about it, let's, we try and uh, coordinate a meeting between the volunteer and the organization and ourselves to discuss it in more detail. And uh, if it's a good fit, which it usually is by that point, we help to make a plan, which we call a match agreement, which really specifies what the roles and responsibilities of both the volunteer and the organization are, and really a lot around timelines and specifics. And that's most of Spark's work is before the project actually launches, like we put the, we help to get the two sides together and get them off on the right foot and then we just do uh, check-ins from time to time about see how things are going and then do evaluations with both sides at the end. What have you learned or what would you say might be one of the biggest takeaways that you've had from the experience of working with volunteers and organizations through Spark? I think the most surprising thing for me is the willingness of professional people to get involved and to give their expertise pro bono to an organization that really needs and requires their help at a specific point in time. I thought that it was going to be really hard to find volunteers to work on the projects with the organizations. And that's proven really not to be the case. It's really trying to figure out with the organizations what the projects look like and making sure that they have the time and capacity to carry them out and to provide their end of the bargain along the way. That's, that's really more challenging than finding the right people to, uh, to help them. Every year, Spark presents an award at the Volunteer Awards held through Volunteer Manitoba. Tell us a little bit about what the award represents, and nominations are open through Friday, February the 8th. So give us a a sense of what some of the criteria is for someone if they're considering making a nomination of someone who might be eligible. Yeah, we're really thrilled that we're part of the Volunteer Manitoba Awards categories and that our program has got a special award called the Spark Outstanding Pro Bono Volunteer. I think we're in the fourth year of presenting the award. The volunteers are nominated by organizations who in the previous year have had a spark match that's concluded. 
and they want to nominate their volunteer for the award. And the criteria is really around people who have shown outstanding leadership in their profession and outstanding leadership in wanting to help Winnipeg's organizations with their challenges and really people who've proven that they can work effectively with an organization to help to surmount their challenge. Every year we are pleasantly surprised that many of the organizations that we've made matches with do nominate their volunteers. It's a great way to be able to recognize their contribution to strengthening Winnipeg's nonprofit sector and help organizations tackling the really difficult and challenging social issues and poverty issues that they face and that their communities are challenged with. So it's a way really to recognize professional people in uh, making Winnipeg a stronger and better place to be. If any of our listeners would like to share their skills and expertise with a community organization, or maybe our listeners work with a community organization that could use a specific skill or, or some expertise or help with a project, what's the best way to, uh, to reach out and learn more about Spark? It's a variety of ways. You can give us a call. 837-7275 is our phone number. If you want to go find out a little bit more about us before getting in touch, you can go to our website, which is sparkwpg.ca. And also, you can find us on social media, both on LinkedIn and on Facebook, where we like to promote the matches that we make, um, so you can get a good idea about what's uh, happened and what possibilities might be for either you as a volunteer or you as an organization. And then all of our contact information is on those sites as well. That's great. Jeff Rippat is the Spark Program Manager working with the Canadian CED Network, or SEDNET, here in Winnipeg. Jeff, thank you so much again for joining me today and for providing all this great information about Spark. Thank you, Robert. My pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Up next, we'll talk to Frank Ulrich, Executive Director of Union Gospel Mission, a group that's helping Manitobans struggling with poverty and addictions. But before we get to that, another musical break. Here's 101 Strings, Dear Heart.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined in studio by Frank Ulrich. He is the Executive Director at Union Gospel Mission. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you, Robert, for uh, for sitting with me and uh, giving me a chance to share with the listeners about Union Gospel Mission. I'm wondering if you can start off by telling us what is Union Gospel Mission and give us a little bit of an overview of what it does here in the community. So our mission statement is to provide Christ-centered programs to the addicted, poor men, women, and children in Manitoba. And uh, we just celebrated our 85th anniversary on October the 1st of 2018. So we've been operating here in the city for, for 85 years. And uh, Congratulations. We're oh, thank you. That's thank a big you. milestone. Yes, it is. <laughs> Actually started out on Main Street, just north of Logan Avenue on the east side. That's where we had our humble beginnings in the height of the Great Depression in Canada, but in Winnipeg as well in, in 1933. So that's where we had our had our beginnings. Why is the work of Union Gospel Mission important to you personally? Mm. I was uh, very blessed to have grown up in a home where I had a mom and a dad who uh, cared for me and loved me and 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 trained me. And so I thought that that was normal for uh, everyone, even though that might sound uh, strange to, to the listeners. But just growing up, I didn't realize that other people uh, didn't have the same opportunities that I had. And uh, later on in life, when I realized that's not the case for everyone, that really gave me an inspiration and a passion to be involved in an organization that helps people out who haven't had the same opportunities that I've had. Among a lot of the programming, you briefly mentioned some of the things that Union Gospel Mission does. One of the biggest components of, of Union Gospel Mission is the support it provides for people who are struggling with addictions. Mm. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more in more detail about these programs and how they provide support for people who are on the path to recovery. Mm. Two out of our seven ministries are our men's and our women's addiction recovery programs. So on the corner of Higgins and Princess, we have a two-story building where we operate our men's addiction recovery program. And uh, on Archibald, uh, kind of in St. Boniface area, we operate our women's addiction recovery program. So uh, we currently have um, about 22 men and about 22 women in in their respective addiction recovery programs. So these are uh, individuals that are coming to us who are at a point in their lives where they realize and they want to have help with overcoming their addictions to uh, drugs, to alcohol, gambling, uh, various various addictions that they want help with. So uh, we're working very closely with these 45 individuals uh, on a daily basis. It's a, it's a live-in facility and it's intended that they're with us for about one year. And uh, yeah, we're, we're walking with them daily and uh, providing them with tools and support and encouragement and love to take on their addictions. Can you share with us a success story mm. from the program? One that comes very quickly to mind is uh, an individual who is currently doing her internship with us. So she's uh, beyond that, that one year. Uh, she's currently still living in the Women's Addiction Recovery Center, which we refer to as the CARE Center. And um, she comes to, to work daily at our location on Higgins and Princess and she helps us out with various administrative tasks. Uh, She's recently been helping me with updating 
policy manuals. Here's one example of an individual who came to us over a year ago and is now sort of in her second year, still living in the facility, still receiving supports, but is now giving back and, and, and helping us out with operating our, our mission. That's wonderful. Just coming full circle like that yeah. and, and being able to help others yeah. through how she sought help herself. That's right. Yeah. With Bell Let's Talk Day happening yeah. recently and a lot of conversation and discussion surrounding mm. mental health, I'm wondering if you can speak to the link between mental health and addictions, how you see that from your perspective. Mm. There is a strong correlation. So in other words, those that struggle with addictions uh, very frequently also struggle with, with mental health and vice versa. So what we do is we recognize that people do struggle with, with mental health. We have a wonderful relationship with Tashay Pharmacy here in the city. Uh, they help us out with uh, facilitating us with the uh, required medication for the folks in our recovery programs and then we're also actively involved in, in supporting folks with mental health and there's uh, healthcare professionals that are involved in our services as well and, and sometimes we have to access other programs here in the city uh, like crisis response center for situations where you know mental health is really uh, affecting someone and we're we're not in a situation to be able to to deal with the behaviors exhibited by folks and that's where we need to draw on other uh, resources in the city to help those that we're we're dealing with what do you think is needed in the conversation surrounding addiction to bend the stigma in terms of talking about it and its relation to mental health? I think if we're talking about it, if we're educating ourselves about it, that's a starting point. And then to you know, those in our, in our spheres and our networks um, that are struggling with mental health, we can have conversations with these people and we can not just sort of, you know, have a, a, a stigma or a, a sort of an avoidance and, and we can go there with these people. We can listen, uh, we can encourage, maybe, maybe we can redirect folks to, to services for, for help and support. So I think uh, the starting point is the education, the openness, the talking about it, and then the next point is the walking alongside people, uh, not shunning people, not avoiding people, and then sort of the, the next step would be to refer people to professionals who can go there with people and help people, whether that's in the form of medication or counseling, these kinds of things. What's one thing that you would want people to know about Union Gospel Mission that might not be obvious at first glance or that they might not be aware of? Hmm. Well, probably the, uh, when I give people tours, uh, probably the most frequently heard statement I hear is, oh, I never had an idea of all the things that you do. So we provide services to folks living in the, in the core of downtown that struggle with poverty, basic services hygiene products so that people can feel better about themselves and have a hot shower if they haven't had that opportunity. We provide clothing to folks, warm, nutritious meals to folks seven days a week. We provide some other supports and services to those struggling with poverty and addiction. On Pritchard Avenue, we actually have a couple of facilities. So 
uh, one of those allows us to provide uh, a mature student diploma to folks that don't have their grade 12 education. And we all know the importance of having education in terms of furthering education beyond grade 12. That's one of the aspirations of folks that come into our adult ed center. And then the other is uh, employment. Some, some people want to work and they want to derive income and gain independence and those kinds of things. We also have a Christian education program. So our donors uh, allow individuals that uh, don't have the funds to go to a Christian education school uh, the ability to do so and then we also have an after-school program and then we also provide emergency uh, food hampers and then we have a wonderful camp sponsorship program this past summer there was 1,364 boys and girls that were given the opportunity to go uh, to a Christian camp here in Manitoba who wouldn't have otherwise had the funds to attend. What would you say is the most important thing or, or something that stands out to you from the time you've been with Union mm. Gospel Mission that you've learned? Well, it's, uh, it's coming up on two years um, uh, as of March, and sort of, I would say, the, the most um, impactful aspect of what we're involved in is helping people to overcome their addictions, helping people who struggle with poverty uh, make it through a day. So I, I think the most impactful thing for me is knowing that individuals right here in our city, in our province, who, believe it or not, in a first world country like Canada, struggle with, with poverty, obviously addiction, just working with these individuals, knowing that they can make it through the day or um, live a better life, uh, living free from, from addiction is, is the most impactful thing for me. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more about Union mm. Gospel Mission, if they're interested in volunteering or making mm. a donation, what's the best way for them to, uh, to learn more? Best way would be to go to our website, which is gospelmission.ca, and you can click on volunteering, or you can click on finding more out about us, those kinds of things, the different ministries that I've described. If an individual wanted to receive a tour of our different facilities and ministries, uh, we would be more than happy to provide that uh, so people can see firsthand the work that we're involved in. Before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to mention about Union mm. Gospel Mission? Yeah. I would just like to uh, say thank you to all of our supporters that uh, are involved in, in helping us out. Uh, we have a lot of people that are supporting us uh, in southern Manitoba, outside of the city, and we really appreciate that support. So just a, a thank you to the generous people here in Manitoba who care about people and uh, are willing to help us out uh, practically with different items or, or financially. I've been speaking with Frank Ulrich, the Executive Director at Union Gospel Mission. Frank, thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today about Union Gospel Mission. And thank you to you, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Up next, we'll learn about a very cool three-on-three -three ball hockey tournament in support of congenital CMV that's actually happening this weekend. The La Classique tournament will be a ton of action, and you can go check it out to support this great cause. But first, Chet Atkins, Snowbird.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo, and with me today is Rob Tetro, uh, who is the founder of uh, Le Classique and also the uh, CMV Foundation. Yeah, the Canadian CMV Foundation. Yeah, so welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so first, before we get into Le Classique, uh, let's talk a little bit about you and how you got involved. Okay, so the Le Classique is, uh, started as a result of me and my, my friend Mac Vaudal wanting one to throw a, uh, a party or to have fun in the middle of winter because we, we were sick and tired of people kind of complaining about how cold it is in Winnipeg and we wanted to do something to kind of break that up. We both like playing ball hockey and we thought, oh, why don't I put a team, you put a team, we'll have some other, other friends put in a team. But more importantly, we wanted to raise money for a cause that was, that was dear to my heart. So that's how the event started seven years ago mm-hmm. and we've come a long way since then. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what CMV is and why you decided to support this? Sure. So CMV is, uh, stands for cytomegalovirus. It's a congenital infection, which, which means it affects babies while they're in utero or while they're in uh, mommy's tummy. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the number one cause of infant disability in North America. Wow. So it uh, kills, blinds, maims, uh, impacts more babies than any other condition um, in North America. So it's very, very common, very uh, unknown, I'll say, or very little awareness has been raised about it. So my son uh, was born with CMV, so he was treated. We caught it at birth. Uh, it, it was a great eventual outcome for us, but we saw so many families and we ended up meeting so many others that weren't as fortunate. So my wife and I decided that we would uh, we would do something about it. So my son was born uh, 10 years ago and uh, we said, okay, we're going to do something. We can't just let status quo here. This doesn't make sense. So we decided we would uh, start raising money. And the first event we did was Le Classique. And we decided that all proceeds would go towards the CMV Foundation or, or towards a cause that, that would f- um, support CMV. Well, it turns out after we did our first event, we raised about $4,000 that first year. It was, a, wow. it was a very modest sum, but we, we had fun and we had a lot of friends and family. We had 16 teams, um, but there was no charity that existed. So in my background as a lawyer, um, you know, I, I remember telling my parents I was so devastated because I'm like, what am I going to do with this money? And my parents said, well, you can create one, you know, just get up off, off your, your rear and make this happen. So that's what I decided to do. So I started working on, on getting the CRA approval for the charity. That took about a year or so. But once we had that, we were approved. CRA recognized us as a national charity with a philanthropic objective. And then we just went to work. That's so awesome. Yeah, it goes to show that just anybody with a good cause can do something about it. Now, with CMV, uh, 1 in 200 babies are born with CMV infection, but 1 in 5 of those can have long-term health problems. So it is really a serious issue. It's serious. Like, there are many parents that I've met in my time as president that have lost children. Like, people die babies die from this and uh, the big one is uh, the big cause the most common one is hearing loss Mm -hmm. so it is the number one cause of non-hereditary hearing loss so a lot of people go undiagnosed they lose their hearing at one two three years old a lot of babies end up losing their hearing and they don't know why and turns out for for the majority of them it is actually cmv so um, yeah, it's definitely a, uh, something that needs, we need to raise awareness for this. And we've had tremendous, tremendous success in the last few years here of actually gaining some ground and gaining some foothold and getting some, some actual action and some changes done to, uh, to the protocols for, for babies that are te- born and tested. Speaking of success, this is your seventh year for Le Classique. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it works and what goes on during the event? 
And so it's a two-day festival. I call it a festival, but it's a two-day festival and kind of starts Friday after work, 5, 5.30, something like that. And it goes on until Saturday evening, uh, you know, after dinner sometimes with the finals being played late Saturday night. The idea is to throw a ball hockey tournament while having activities in a heated tent throughout the entire weekend. So you'll have uh, teams register in five different divisions. So there's, um, you know, novice, competitive, there's a women's division, there's a co-ed division, there's a corporate division, and you sign up and then you play three games over the two days plus playoffs. And then the idea is that during that time, we have stuff going on in the heated tents. So you know, we'll have some fundraising efforts, we'll have some live bands. So um, there's the the beer gardens will be going. And there's also um, a really neat family fun day on Saturday, which is an entire day built around taking your kids out of the house on a cold day and bringing them bringing them out and having fun with the kids. Absolutely. And it's looking like weather is starting to get a little bit better. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, Le Classic is going to be held at Whittier Park, correct? Correct. It's at Whittier Park. It's uh, February 8th and 9th, we have uh, still have some social tickets left. So the social is uh, Friday night, which is tomorrow night. Mm. Uh, we got $10 tickets, uh, gets you in. The Saturday Family Fun Day is free for all three live shows, plus face painting, plus uh, bouncy castles, tons of stuff for the kids. So we, we hope you guys uh, come out and uh, support the cause. There are ways that you can still support the CMV Foundation. How can people do that? Well, you can go online and make a donation. Uh, you can go directly to the website, leclassique.ca, www.leclassique.ca. Um, you can go to the Canadian CMV Foundation. We're definitely also looking for any parents that have been impacted by CMV to reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to connect with you, and we'd love to, to help support you in any way we could. And if you'd like to volunteer in any way, we'd love to have you as well. So... Um, those are the ways you could support. We do offer, obviously, charitable receipts for any donations. So, um, yeah, we would love to hear from anyone out there who's, who's either got some uh, money to send our way or some stories to share with us. Again, thank you, Rob, for joining us today on River City 360. Uh, before I let you go, though, is there anything that you would like to add about congenitive uh, CMV or Le Classic or anything in general? Yeah, uh, I'll just add this. So in 20. 17 things started getting uh, really positive for the charity we had our first national summit uh that that you know i organized and that that was in ottawa and we had about 20 canadian professionals come together and come to a consensus about what we wanted to get done in the cmv space uh, that same year in manitoba we passed the first ever protocol for targeted cmv screening for newborn children that was a huge win Amazing. that we lobbied the government to change a very 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 cheap program that's going to identify uh, children that are born with this and treat them at birth wow. so it's very very cheap it's not costing us anything and we're catching these babies so that was a big win but 2018 was an even bigger year we funded our first two research projects directly funded research projects we also uh, had our second national summit in montreal we opened a, con a child uh, congenital uh, infectious diseases center in montreal and more importantly we passed a universal screening measure in Ontario, which is going to be starting in 2019. So there's a ton of uh, success that we're having right now, and it's all because people are supporting our event, La Classic. We could not be doing the tremendous work that I feel we're doing on the lobby side, on the awareness side, on the research side. The, the eventual goal is eradicating the condition. We want to get rid of it. Absolutely. And we couldn't do it without the dollars that are raised at La Classic. So we're very thankful to anyone who is sponsored. We're very thankful to our, our main sponsor, MLT Akins. And we're thankful to everyone who donates because it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to do it without them. 
Absolutely. And again, for those that are looking more into uh, CMV or would like to learn more about CMV, uh, you can definitely check out cmvcanada.com to find out more information. You can also find out more information about the foundation there as well. And of course, Le Classic at L-E-C-L-A-S-S-I-Q-U-E dot C-A. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sonny. We've got time for some more music before we go, so here is Bert Camfort with Near You, right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Sonny here with you today. That was Bert Camfort with Near You, and we've got time for one last song before we say goodbye. So here is Frank Mills with Anticipation, right here on River City 360.
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you for tuning in today. And a very special thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us as well. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can do so at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we always love to hear your feedback about the program. If you'd like to request a song, suggest a topic for a future show, or just call in and say hi, you can give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also send us an email if you have any announcements uh, or any story ideas. Send us an email, rivercity360 at wbgfdn.org. And the phone number to our listener line, it's 24-7, so just leave us a message again, is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at WPGFDN on Twitter and searching the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. I'm Sonny Promolo signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.